Good morning. When I was thinking about what to talk about this morning, because we're focusing on karma for our practice period, and when I was feeling into what to talk about, the thing that came up for me was the words karmic fatigue. It would be hard to talk about karma right now and not talk about that we are being plowed over by karma, by our collective karma, every minute of every day right now. Now, this is always the case. But we live in a particular time where it's extremely apparent. So when I'm talking about karma, when we talk about karma, it's a way of talking about causality or cause and effects, specifically in human life, in human moral life. It's what we, it's the effect we cause in the world through our intentions, through our volition, through our will. And the Buddha was um, clear that when we're thinking about, when we're looking at the effects we're having, we have to pay attention not just to our actions, but we have to pay attention to our intention behind it, and then we have to pay attention to the views that um, die, that there's a word that's sometimes used where you um, take a cloth and you put it into dye. The way our intentions are... um, died by our view. So we can have the intention to do something, but a view, and we can have our own, our own relationship to that intention may be, well, that's a good intention, but if it's rooted in a particular view, then its effects may not be good at all. Even its effects on us, the one who thinks it's a good intention. So we have to pay attention to that whole array of view, intention, action, and then the context in which we're acting. So, and then, and then we plant, when we act in a certain way, we plant seeds is often what it's, how it's talked about. So if I act in a wholesome way that takes care of myself and others, then I plant these wholesome seeds and they come to fruition at some point. If I do not, if I act in ways that are aggressive or violent or rooted in separation or confused views, those also plant seeds. And they come to fruition. And it would be um, limited to think that these are just a linear track where I'm planting a seed and somebody else, and, and I'm planting a seed and then that arises for just me. We're all planting seeds, and they're arising for all of us all the time. So this, there isn't really a line. Even though we have to take personal responsibility for the karma we cause, there isn't a line between all of us generating karma for all of us. So the... um, I'm finding myself tired... Exhausted. 
And um, when I'm thinking about that, it's, it is this. It is the fruition of so many seeds in the light. And we need to experience that fruition. That has to happen. We have to experience the, the fruition of karma in the light of day. Some people have to experience it all the time. Others get to experience it at certain moments. Those who are on the downside of violence, meaning the power downside of violence, are clear most of the time. Not always, but mostly. Those on the upside remain unclear sometimes about their views, even when their views are being thrown back in their face. But wherever we land on this, this coming up, this fruition, this constant assault of the fruits of our histories of violence, whether they be the personal history of um, violence in my life or whether it be our collective one, this is difficult to withstand. It's difficult to experience. And I think we need to um, be kind about that and understand it, because if we don't, we will not be able to continue forward with our vow to see karma clearly if we're not clear about how sometimes it is so overwhelming to experience the collective effects of what we've done to each other, then, it remain, then we just want to shut down. We want to hide under pillows, whatever it is. And sometimes we need to do that. There's no problem with that. But then there's the vow to keep going. So how do I do that? How is it that even when the fruits are so clear and strong and relentless, how do I keep going with addressing them? So there's one thing is to look at how we address fruits of karma. And... um, It isn't, at least in the tradition, that somebody's acting from their conditioning and now I'm going to slam them from my conditioning and try to stop them. That isn't the teaching. That's what we do, but um, it's not the teaching. The teaching is something a lot more subtle, which includes stopping. So to cultivate a mind and a heart that can be still with the arising of karma. We first do this with our own karma that arises in our body in Zazen, right? So we sit in Zazen and we start to see our karma arise. At first we're just happy, well, maybe we're not, but there's often a period of time where we're just happy that we're experiencing some sort of stillness. But when that stillness gets really still, then our histories come up, then our conditioning comes up, then we see it. And the first thing we want to do, usually, if, you are, if your experience is like other people that I've spoken with and my own, um, 
I would kind of want to smack it down with judgment or control or ideas about how it should be better. These kinds of things. I need to be a better person than what I'm seeing. I need to have had a better history than the one I'm looking at. But the, um, the cultivation is to be still with it. And not just still with it because... Um, and not still with it because we have some commitment to um, no change or something. But that any attempt to change it from the same volitional being that you're looking at is going to just reinforce it. So in other words, if I am looking at the effects of karma that are coming from my will, and I'm trying to will them out, I'm just reenacting the same energy. So, to be still with that is to allow other possibilities, and maybe you've experienced this, you're still, something arises, and then another possibility arises almost out of silence itself. Something unexpected. Kindness. Compassion. I don't seem to be able to will myself to be kind. I seem to be able to allow myself to be kind. And there's something different about that. When I try to will myself to be kind, I notice that I'm judging the person who isn't kind. (laughs) And I'm not very kind. But when I start cultivating a body and mind that can be still with the pain of what's arising, then there suddenly starts to open up spaces for kindness and gentleness and clarity and these other possibilities that weren't there if I were anchoring everything on what I'm used to doing. With our collective karma, we are not doing this. We are not stopping and listening to the pain. If you were going to take what's going on collectively and turn it into a single mind, we're judging it, humiliating it, dismissing it, shutting it up, doing everything that we are training ourselves not to do with the arising of painful karma. And so we're just setting fire to the karma. We're just blowing it out wider and wider and wider. Now, some people may be listening. I don't want to say everyone's not. I think some people are listening. They may not be the ones that we know, or they may not be the most famous ones. But there's a listening that is happening. And even in the listening, we sometimes, you might have noticed in your own zazen, sometimes we have to back off and take a little break from experiencing even our own pain. I'm not saying that we collectively need to take a break, but individual people may need to take some breaks. Or, the break may look like a different kind of cultivation. So, The Buddha talks in the relative sense about karma as wholesome and unwholesome. If we act unwholesomely, we create unwholesome. So if we're taking in lots of seeds and we're grabbing onto them, we make our life more difficult. But if we're on the wholesome side, then we're doing things that create um, 
that enforce love and compassion and connection. So for me, I, I seem to have to learn this over and over and over again. For me, I'm realizing that when I have an onslaught of unwholesome fruits that my body is managing, I have to root myself in the wholesome ones all the more. I actually have to turn up the volume on the wholesome ones. The other morning I came in, and Friday morning, yesterday morning, and we did the morning service, and the beginning of the morning service is to avow karma, all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. At the moment I said those words, at that moment I felt everyone in the room, I felt incredible support, I felt the tradition, I felt everything sweep into. Because there's a whole history of conditioning there that supports wholesome intentions. And so sometimes, I notice this in myself, when I'm overwhelmed with a lot of difficulty, Sometimes the, the, the ritual forms of support or whatever, they kind of, maybe they get backburnered a little bit because there's so much going on. Exactly the opposite, though, needs to happen. If we're going to remain sane and feel energized, you know, these words fatigue. Fatigue is, is fatigue tends to mean I do something over and over and my muscles get tired, but exhausted. This means the host or the spirit that gives life energy exits us. And that's the risky, dangerous point when we just feel... And so at that point, we might not even feel the energy to uphold the ritual supports and the ways of being, whatever they are for us, that cultivate a different kind of being in the world that end up energizing us with love and hope and care and relationship. But this is not easy to do alone. When I came, I, we, I was recently with Inzan, I was recently at the Soto Zen Buddhist Association meeting upstate, and this is a gathering of um, priests in this lineage, well, actually in all the Soto Zen lineages, in the Soto Zen tradition. And there was a focus over the four days of, um, on race and gender and, and ways we're conditioned around this and ways to begin looking at our tradition in um, more honest ways about how we're failing. But the last two days focused specifically on Me Too, on the Me Too movement. The, um, there's a circle of women and there's a circle of men that met separately and then we met together the next day. Without going into the details, I don't know, people were very honest about their histories and what happened to them. I don't know that I have ever felt so much pain in my life. And, um, and also, 
so much love and support. But what was visceral was all of those people coming together for a full moon ceremony where we avowed the where there was an avowing of the violent histories of our society and this culture and sharing in that together. This may not, maybe, I don't know if any of this resonates, but after in the morning service we avow karma, the next thing we do is take refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And there is a good reason for that. We can't, we don't, I don't have the strength, the will, the conviction to maintain my relationship to the vow to see all of our karma for the benefit of all beings without a community that is doing that. It's just not there. I think this is why the Buddha was so clear that 100% of the practice is spiritual friendship. That we come together in spaces like this and we begin to be honest and clear and loving about what is happening and what our vows are. What our commitments are, what our convictions are. But I think this has to happen together. Because the minute I feel alone in it, I can feel myself folding. I can feel myself going, it's just too much and it's hopeless. Because sometimes when I look at, um, ask the question, how far have we come? I can see my mind going, not far, not far, not far enough. And I, I, I have some belief in that. I do believe we haven't come far enough. But, um, but it's one thing to recognize that as discernment. It's another thing to be crushed under that. But then I think on the other side, I think of Dr. King's How Long, Not Long. There is this how far, not far. But on the other side, there's something that is that recognizes the possibility that arises from us being together in recognition and silence and allowing space for something else that doesn't come from the same time. That doesn't come from linear time in the same way. That creates possibility that, isn't, that may not be apparent to us in what we're looking at right now. If we lose connection with that, the how far not far is crushing. 
if we can understand that the how long, not long, is coming from a deep relationship to the love that is cycling through all of us all the time, which is, hard, I know, very hard to believe at times. Very hard to believe at times. But to, um, but I think it's evidenced by our practice. I don't think the intellectual mind's going to buy it necessarily. I don't even think the mind that looks at the world as it's unfolding is going to buy it. But I think the heart of our practice knows it. I think we find our way there, or it finds its way through us. But that, for me, that how long, not long, I cannot find that alone. I cannot do it. I find that with us. We find that. We find that in our honest conversation, in our vows, in our rituals together, in our acting as one, in our caring for one another, in our learning how to care for one another, and our listening to a rising pain that has been there for centuries and not coming back with some (coughs) habit of defense. but being still. Being still in the how long, not long, when we're hearing the pain of the how far, not far. Not far enough. This is the only way I know. And I perpetually fail at it. But we're told, Dogen is constantly saying, that this is the only way. That living with our karma openly, that being clarifying our karma openly, what he calls causes and effects, is all we have. After all, this is Dogen, after all, causation is self-evident. There are no exceptions. Those who act in an unwholesome way decline, and those who act in wholesome ways thrive. There is not a hair's breadth of discrepancy here. If cause and effect had been ignored or denied, Buddhas would not have appeared. If you deny causation... Endless harm results. If we deny our karma, endless harm results. Even if you do nothing more than deny karma, cause and effect. This is a disastrous, poisonous view. Immediately clarify all causes and all effects if you want to make the aspiration for enlightenment your priority. And so respond to the boundless gift of all of our Buddha ancestors.
if we're going to clarify the ultimate nature of reality itself, we have to admit all the causes and effects. We have to confess all the karma. All of it. Which means we have to become profoundly good listeners. And sometimes it will feel like too much. And then maybe what we do is chant together, or be silent together, or go bowling (laughs) together. Unless you need to bowl alone. Sometimes you need to bowl alone. We have introverts in our midst. They may recharge in different ways. But um, So as we uh, stop here, I'll just say, as we're experiencing all of this, just let's... And, and, and it's affecting people in profoundly different ways, depending on what, the, what our location is and how we manifest in the world and where we live and what our reality is. It's different for all of us, and we need to remember it's different for all of us. My experience is not yours. But even with that being the case, if we can remember to be together, in an intention to see clearly, to renounce harm, and to understand together, to renounce harm. That is our first vow, to do no harm. The rest, emptiness, all this other stuff that we like to get hung up in, not harming is number one. It is all in service of that. So, if we can remember to come together in that vow, there is something infinite about living from love. And when I don't, I wear down. And when I do, I don't. So if we can come together in that and still listen and not turn away and not pretend the world isn't the world it is, then maybe like Zazen, things change. And one day we wake up and we're not doing those things we used to do. And we don't quite know how we got there, but we got there. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. 
For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.